We remain standing for the reading of the gospel, or at least the completion of the reading for today, beginning at verse 24. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there's no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Our children can now go to Children's Church. I know there are times you wish you had a toy in each hand. In a book by Elizabeth Lesser called Broken Open, she has this quote from Aeneas Nin. And the time came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to bloom. Our text begins with a young adult running and kneeling and addressing Jesus as good teacher. And all three of those are actions taken by an inferior to a superior. It's a challenge, really, to the honor of Jesus, whether it was intended to be or not. You see, in that day, by birth, Jesus was in the lowest caste class possible. And it was considered to be completely shameful, dishonorable even, to seek a higher status than what you were born into. They had no idea of our thinking of upper mobility. They didn't think that way. However, it was possible that others could hold you in a higher position of honor. But the only honorable response is if they praised you was a response of humility and a rejection of any public display of honoring. And so this young adult runs up and publicly honors Jesus, good teacher, he says. And Jesus honorably rejects this public honor. No one's good but God, he says. And by doing so, he raises his own standing in the eyes of all those who witness this exchange. It's a little social dance and a reminder of Jesus' low status Perhaps an unintended reminder that we can still smell the barn on your clothes, Jesus. This young adult gets right to it and wants to know how to inherit eternal life. And again, the social things of that day, the expectations, the the structure, 
was that inheritance went to the firstborn son. And to inherit, you had to be part of that family that had something worth inheriting. Most didn't. And to inherit, you're waiting for somebody to die. And Jesus rattles off the commandments. The young man, this youngster, this young adult persists. I've done all these my whole life. He's honored his mother and father all life. Must have skipped his teenage years. (laughs) And yet he's not getting what he wants. He's followed all these rules for building community life. But he's done them to the point of boredom, to the point of spiritual drudgery. He sounds frustrated and entitled. But he also sounds caught. Caught in the same social system that says Jesus is down here and can't rise up. He's caught up here. And he's not happy where he is. He wants something more. Then it says something startling, really. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. In all of Mark's gospel, for everything it said so far, the the feeding of the hungry, the healing of the sick, the naming of people as his daughter, it doesn't say he loved him until this guy. He loved him. We haven't spoken this young adult's title yet, have we? We know the title, Rich Young Ruler. Not given here, but in our commentaries about it. And all three are words that hook a bias of mine. Rich, I'm envious. Young, who wouldn't like a do-over knowing more than you did when you were young? And ruler, well, that gets my redneck back up. Jesus is about to ask for radical change in this person's life, and it starts with looking, really looking at him. And what does he see? A young adult with an empty place inside that he feels he needs something but can't quite name it, like leaving the house, having forgotten something. You've padded all your pockets, but you don't know what it is until you get somewhere and want to make a phone call and realize your phone's back there on the table somewhere. He sees this young adult searching for more, and it's so different from how I see him as rich and young and powerful. And Jesus loved him. Prior to asking for change, Jesus loves him, and we discover a pattern for deep, abiding change. First, there's this love that embraces us, that frees us. If I know I'm loved, I can also sense that I am free, free from whatever it is that holds me back, free from whatever has a grip on me. It's loosened. Who looks at you? Who looks at you and loves you in a way that you know you're free? Free from the heavy hand of people's opinion. Free from the crushing weight of religious and social prejudice. Who looks at you that way? We imagine a fast-paced conversation 
But I'm thinking it was slower paced. I'm thinking it took this young adult some time to kind of realize that in looking at him, Jesus loved him. To really truly feel that acceptance, that warmth, that positive regard that we call love. And now this moment is just pregnant with possibility. And then that loving voice says, you lack one thing. Can you put yourself there? Jesus saying to you, I can imagine Jesus saying, we're going to start with one thing, Jim, and we're going to work our way down the list. You lack one thing. Jesus drops this conversation stopper. Go sell what you own, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. This is the only time, the only time that following Jesus is defined as giving away everything you have. Pastors like me typically see it as a good basis for a stewardship sermon. We hint that giving away everything is the real standard, and you should be glad just to be let off with a tithe. I think that misses the mark of the story. I think Jesus looks at him and loves him and says, You lack one thing. I think he's saying, You are stuck. Just as you defined me by your approaching me and keeping me in this place, so you're stuck. You're defined by this social structure that we both live in. And you're not happy by how you're defined. But you're loved. You're loved. And now you can choose a different definition of yourself. You can choose to stop looking at yourself as this rich person who only needs an inheritance of eternal life to make himself complete. And you can start looking at the poor and the vulnerable who are all around us. And grab hold of the power you already have to change some of that for some of them. You're stuck. We're stuck until we can see ourselves as vulnerable, too. Until we are willing to trade places with those vulnerable ones. Until we're willing to love enough to make a difference. Jesus stands there as this one who's free, offering freedom to this young adult. But alas, the young adult can't do it. He cannot do it. Jesus has invited him to transcend the social order that limited people, that made them vulnerable, that left them poor and stuck. He has the opportunity to do that, and he doesn't. Oh, we'd like to think that we would choose better. But we all have grown up with systems, social systems, social structures, social expectations. I've been reading a book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. No offense to any teachers here, please. By James Lowen, an historian. He talks about how we have distorted history in our teaching of it in high school classrooms. 
And I still remember my high school teacher insisting that the war between the states was a war about states' rights. He left off the part about the states' rights to have slaves. In the book, Lowen talks about how there's been slavery throughout history, but in the 15th century, enslavement began to change. Increasingly, white people came to believe that it just wasn't right to enslave other whites. But they persisted in the enslavement of Africans. The rationale was just pure racism. Montesquieu, the the French social philosopher in 1748, kind of put it in a way that kind of still pierces us. He says, it's impossible for us to suppose these creatures to be human because allowing them to be human, a suspicion would follow that we ourselves are not Christian. In effect, generation after generation after generation that benefited from the evils of slavery could not rally themselves to stand outside that social structure and say it was wrong. We are the inheritors of racism. We too may hear this Jesus ask us to dare to transcend the social structures. And there are so many. Those social structures that have said, well, you really can't marry who you love because you're kind of loving the wrong person here, wrong gender. Or you're female, so you need to stay down. It's amazing how long it took us to realize that women could vote. Or in health care. I hear our politicians say we have the best health care in the world, and it is a blatant lie. We have health care that favors the well-off and the insured, but not the poor. Jesus stands and offers him freedom and a challenge to take hold of his power. Mary Oliver wrote in The Summer Day, She wrote, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That sounds so like Jesus talking to this young adult. I close with those words with which I began. And the time came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to bloom. Jesus invites us to bloom. Amen.